Hey, 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 and welcome to the Ritz Report. It is Tuesday, January 25th, 2002. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Big stuff going on in the news, folks. Big stuff on the news. Thanks for joining me. You can send me notes of adoration and love or pure hatred <laughs> to Ritz at RitzReport.com. I prefer the old school email way. Wooka wooka old school. But if you prefer, you want to go the uh, socials. We can go that route as well. You can reach me on Instagram at Ritz Report and on Twitter, Ritz Report. And on Getter, I am Alex Ritz. So what's happening, folks, in the world? We got Ukraine. We got trucking convoys. We got COVID. We got a New York City mayor trying to get rid of guns. We got all sorts of crazy things. But before we uh, jump into all that, let's just talk quickly about New York State. The New York State Supreme Court came down and said that the mask mandate that was in effect across the state is unconstitutional, not enforceable, and goes bye-bye. So the governor of the state, Kathy Hochul, who is deer in the headlight stupid, released a statement saying that my responsibility as governor is to protect New Yorkers throughout this public health crisis. And these measures help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and save lives. Obviously, she's not paying attention to any of the data (laughs) that's coming out of all of the states that are doing hardcore masking or any of the countries that have on hardcore masking. If we think about Germany, who actually instituted N95s across the board, that's all you could wear. They did that months back, and it made no difference. So, Governor Hochul, while I'm not surprised that you're dumb, your information is incorrect. She continues, we strongly disagree with this ruling, and we are pursuing every option to reverse this immediately. The thing thing that I find so amazing about this, the thing that I find so amazing about this is that now in New York, you have school districts sending out notices to their super to their uh, superintendents are sending out notices so that people continue to mask in school. So we have a court decision. This is where the left, right, whenever they stand up and say they are in power and you have to follow it because it's the law and all of this other nonsense that they spew. Here we have a ruling from the court and they just throw it by the wayside. Say, we're not doing that. We're going to continue to mask. The thing that's amazing to me that even more so though than that is the fact that parents within the schools. So this isn't the Supreme Court said you can't wear masks in schools. This is the Supreme Court said the state Supreme Court said you cannot mandate this. If you want to wear a mask to school, if you want your kid to wear a mask to school, have him wear a mask to school. The same thing's happening in Virginia with uh, Governor Yunkin. He comes in, he gets away with the state mask mandate, says the schools don't need to do it. The school systems are suing him. They do not want medical freedom. All of these governors and, and this, and this uh, decision by the court, all they're saying is you have medical freedom to make a choice. And people don't want it. <laughs> it is, it's mind-blowing. I, I, it's just unbelievable. Man, you are one pathetic loser. The same thing with everybody who's anti-vax. Or not even, anti-vax is, I know it's become like this thing that everybody says. People who don't want the COVID vaccine are not anti-vaxxers. Most of them have every vaccine that's recommended by the CDC and health authorities pretty much across the board. They are not anti-vaxxers. Anti-vaxxers are people who don't want any vaccines ever for anything. Okay? That is not the people that we are talking about in this bucket when in regard to COVID. 
it's not these people. These people have a problem with this vaccine because of the way that it was rushed. And we're going to talk about that coming up. But it was rushed through the process. It was done in less than a year. Generally, a vaccine takes 10 years to create because it takes that long to test it. That's why they don't want to take it. Some people do have their religious exemptions, but putting, even putting religion aside and just talking about why there are some people that are just saying, I don't want to take this. There's a piece in the, in the uh, paper today, man in Boston in his 30s needs a heart transplant, has been taken off of the list because he's unvaccinated. In his 30s, taken off the list because he's unvaccinated. The hospital puts out a statement saying he has to be vaccinated. This is, you know, the, the uh, procedures that we have in place to keep everyone safe. We know that this is where we are completely off the rails here. Data no longer matters. This is power, control. You do what I say or you don't get what you want. And think about it. This vaccine, we know, puts spike proteins into your blood those spike proteins cause your blood to clot. They gather in your heart, in your endothelium. This guy needs a heart transplant. So if he knows anything about these vaccines and anything about some of the side effects of these vaccines and sees that one of the places that the damage that these vaccines are doing to people is in their heart, why would he want this in his damaged heart before a heart transplant? And why would the hospital who's supposed to quote unquote, follow the science, why would the hospital be demanding that he get this when we now know that it does not prevent infection? It does not prevent transmission. It doesn't do any of these things. It doesn't even give you protection against Omicron. And yet they're going to take this guy off the list. They did it. They did it. They took him off the list. Unbelievable. But these people, like, all we're trying to do, the people who don't want the vaccines mandated, all we're trying to do is give people medical freedom. That is what they are fighting for. All those people that went to the rally on Sunday in Washington, D.C. to stop the mandates rally, all they want to do is give people medical freedom to make choices for themselves. Same as this Governor Yunkin tried to do down in Virginia, where the school systems are now suing him. Same as the state Supreme Court did here in New York, where it said, it's up to you. You want to, see, want to wear a mask in school? Wear a mask. You just can't mandate it. And the people are essentially saying, govern me harder. Give me more tyranny. Tell me what to do and control my life because I don't want the option. It's really incredible. Before COVID, and maybe this was me being naive, I had an idea of what the American people thought I had an idea of how they would behave. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that people would behave the way that they are behaving. It is, it is just astounding, like blow your hair back astounding. They just give up their freedoms for, for no reason at all. They, they don't question any of it. And they look at people who do question it and they look at people who do push back on it as if there's something wrong with them. It's incredible. Anyway, let's talk about Joe Biden and the Ukraine. How about this little clip to start it off? And what looks like an exercise could be a prelude to war. How can we tell the difference? Prudence demands that we deploy our ships to observe yours. 
It would be well for your government to consider that, having your ships and ours, your aircraft and ours, in such proximity is inherently dangerous. Wars have begun that way, Mr. Ambassador. Yes, a classic clip from The Hunt for Red October with Alec Baldwin, who's a really a good actor. I mean, the guy's nuts. <laughs> he's nuts otherwise, but I think he's such a good actor. It's too bad that he just sometimes just can't keep his mouth shut. But that clip, I play it because now the plan is, according to the Biden regime, that we are we have activated or put on high alert 8,500 troops that potentially we're going to be deploying into NATO countries uh, around Ukraine. And that's why I played that clip. Like, we're going to send troops over there. This is a really volatile area of the world. Why would we send troops there at all? We have no, we have no interest in the Ukraine in terms of uh, national security for us. And why we would send troops there just seems to me to be reckless, reckless. So thinking about this, there's a couple of ways that uh, I have evaluated it. One could be a wag the dog scenario, right? We could be looking at Biden looks at his approval here in the United States domestically and thinks to himself like, wow, <laughs> this is a dumpster fire the likes of which I never anticipated at this point in my presidency. I need something to distract from this. The COVID numbers because of Omicron are dropping like crazy. The 14 day rolling average on the New York Times today was negative nine for new cases. So that appears to be uh, cooling off, I hope. And if we don't get another uh, variant that is highly contagious and makes people more sick, which hopefully we will not, that will we'll, we'll start to move beyond that as we come into the spring. So he sees that that emergency sort of waning on the on the stage. So he needs something else, so, something else to take the attention of the American people off of everything that is so unbelievably awful in the United States, everything that's so awful. And I actually set a clip about this the other day on Instagram, but one of the things that I noticed about the press conference last week was not the fact that they spent all of this time talking about Ukraine and Russia. I mean, they spent an inordinate amount of time talking about it, which is interesting because there are so many problems in this country, the border, gas prices, food prices, the economy overall, uh, the issue with the fact that they're now going to have um, mandates for truckers to come across the border, which is going to be a disaster if they don't get rid of this. Uh, just across the board, an economic mess that we're all living through. And we know that the White House coordinates with the press corps and all of those questions and all of the people who asked those questions were pre-screened. It was a big discussion. Everybody was involved. And they didn't talk about anything that affects the American people. They wanted to keep your attention somewhere else. So that's what this could be in the Ukraine. So that's one is wag the dog in terms of in terms of keeping everybody's attention out of domestic policy. Two, let's just assume for a second that all these stories about the Biden crime family are true and everything regarding the Ukraine and Hunter Biden is true and all the money and payoffs with Burisma are true. If all of that's true. Is, it, is there potentially the option that Ukraine has got the goods on the Biden family to a degree that they could blackmail him 
that he's captured. And they're saying, hey, Joey, Joey, <laughs> you might want to pay attention over here now. Joey, if, uh, you know, we have a little problem here with Russia, and I think we'd like a little bit of backup. And if we don't get it, you know, some people might need to start talking, telling some stories, just going to put it out there. <laughs> so I think that's certainly potentially something that's that's going on there. But again, taking, you know, stepping back 10,000 foot view, looking at it, saying, why would we send troops here? And then the third option or the third scenario that sort of could be playing out here is that there's nothing going on at all. Essentially another wag the dog scenario where there's really nothing going on at all in the Ukraine. Nothing has changed. The tensions there haven't heated up. It's all exactly the same as it was a month ago or two months ago. And things are good. And things are good. And the Biden administration is playing a head fake, pretending like there's something going on over there. Again, again, just to get everybody's attention off of domestic policy. So I definitely think those, those three scenarios, I think any of them really could be happening. Um, but I guess, you know, we're going to know. We're going to know soon enough. We're going to know soon enough. Moving on to the truck convoy, for those who don't know, because I haven't seen it one time anywhere in the media. I haven't seen it on any channel. I haven't even seen it on Fox. I mean, maybe it's on OAN or one of those other networks. Uh, I, don't, I don't generally watch them. Maybe Newsmax. I, I haven't watched Newsmax or OAN. I'll watch Fox. I click around to CNN. I'll click around to MSNBC, NBC, ABC, just to sort of see what like people are talking about. But I haven't seen this trucker story anywhere. So if you don't know, up in Canada, the, Can the Canadian truckers are saying enough with these vaccine mandates. They put it into place where the, the truckers had to have a shot. And they said, absolutely not. We are not doing that. Uh, so they have decided to stop, stop carrying goods. And they have set up a convoy that is going across Canada. And I think it's supposed to arrive in Ottawa on the 20s. I think, I think that either the 27th or the 29th. I'm, I'm not sure which. I'm not sure which, but the convoy I heard yesterday was 70 kilometers long. So I think that's like 150 miles of trucks, half a million people, they estimate. I think, I think it was, I'm, I'm not even sure how many trucks, I, sh I shouldn't even guess. But just to give you an idea, 150 miles of trucks that are going to Ottawa to say to Justin Trudeau, hey, Justin, enough, we are finished with this nonsense. And it's time to go back to normal. In fact, I have a clip of a trucker here saying something just like that. You see, Trudeau, there's something you're going to figure out. It's people like me in this industry that feed you, bring you fuel, everything you take for granted. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We run this country, not you. Without us, this place don't move. And when everybody in all these cities is starving because we refuse to move, guess what? They'll no longer be on your side. So the truckers are kind of like that uncle that doesn't say much. He stays quiet in the background. But when he speaks, people listen. That's what you're dealing with right now. We've had enough. You're not playing this game no more. This ain't a game. This isn't just our lives. This is everybody in Canada's lives. And you're nothing but a drama teacher. Go back to it. Go to some country you paid off. <laughs> For the record, I didn't know that uh, Trudeau was a drama teacher. <laughs> I guess uh, 
I guess he was a drama teacher. If I wanted a joke, I'd follow you into the john and watch you take a leak. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so the truckers up there are doing their convoy. And like I said, they're going to arrive in Ottawa and to end the mandates, to end the mandates. This, this could be really, uh, really, really big. Because essentially, if they're, not, if they're not shipping goods across Canada, Canada's done, right? Canada's done. The, uh, em- the, the bare shelves Biden that we have here in the United States, Canada's going to make that look like a walk in the park because they're going to have absolutely nothing anywhere because all of those trucks are busy uh, protesting the mandates. So Trudeau's going to have his feet held to the fire. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But again, the, uh, the uh, U.S. mainstream media doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to care about it. All, what, what they do care about, it was yesterday uh, during a meeting, President Biden called Peter Ducey of Fox News a son of a bitch after, <laughs> after he asked him a question that the president didn't care for. Let's take a listen to that. What a stupid son of a bitch. What a stupid son of a bitch. What a stupid son of a bitch. Uh, I, I, gotta, I think I might know somebody who's dumber. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, I mean, you think about it. And by the way, it's cost a lot of money. It cost about $740 million billion over we 10 years. We choose truth over facts. Come on, man. So who, is, who, who, who do we think is dumber? Who do we think is dumber? Pete Ducey or Joe Bite Me? I think it's Joe Bite Me. And I think he's won it. He's won the competition by a mile. So... This is, you know, a big kerfuffle. It was on the news last night. Everybody's talking about it this morning on The View. And I don't know if anybody out there watches The View. Anybody who watch, literally when you watch The View, you can feel your IQ going down. <laughs> if you watch The View or listen to The View, you can feel your IQ just going down. Uh, they had a reaction to uh, Joe Biden and Pete Ducey's exchange. And Laura, Lisa Ling, Laura Ling, I don't know, one of the hostess over, hostettes over there on The View, she had uh, this to say. I mean, look, the, pre- the former president set the bar low, right? Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think one of the reasons why Joe Biden was elected, even though he has a history of being a loose cannon, mm-hmm. is he was thought to restore civility to the office. Mm-hmm. Restore civility to the office. They hired a dementia patient to restore civility to the office. And I, I love that excuse that people are using. Well, well Trump was way worse, dude. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I thought you guys got rid of Trump because he was so bad. Remember? Mean tweets, low gas prices. We have to get rid of that. Here's the rest of the bite. So, you know, it's not like he just, you know, dismissed it as a, as a dumb question. Like it was he, he name called. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, as a mom to young kids, these are the people oh, who God. should be setting examples for our kids. OK, lady, if you are looking to any politician, set an example for your kids. I'm not sure you're a parent material. I'm not sure your parent would tell anything you should be saying to them. When you listen to a politician, you should be evaluating every word, but you certainly don't look to them as you're like a moral authority or some sort of a figure to emulate. No way. This is just confusion of people on the left. It's like yet more examples of men behaving badly. Oh, now we got to bash men too. It's not bad enough that, you know, we, we have to, uh, run down the, the former president. Now we're going to bash men across the board. And, you know, we should have politicians that every kid can look up to. Right, lady. Right. You're, you're living in reality. 
and, yeah. and mothers eventually having to clean it up because it's giving license yeah. Yeah. To, to kids. I, I, I completely... Right, mothers, right? The, the, the women who come out and say, oh, motherhood is the hardest job in the entire world. <laughs> so, uh, Bill Burr had a whole bit about this. He was like, yeah, that's really hard where you're like bending over to put the DVD into the DVD player. <laughs> Uh, let's listen. Agree with you. It's sort of beneath the dignity of the, of the presidency. But what I appreciate is that he called and he apologized. That's something that we would have never heard the former, you know, twice impeached, disgraced president oh of this God. country. Oh my God, is right. Oh my God, is right. And to say it is beneath the office of the president. Wait, I was, can I ask you a question, lady? Were you a Clinton supporter? Were you a Clinton supporter? Did, were, were you a big fan of JFK? When you look back on history, do you think about JFK with fond memories, right? Do you think about Clinton with fond memories? Do you think of John Edwards with fond memories? All of these guys that are total scum, they were, it comes out later where everybody thought they were such great guys and yeah, not really. They're scum. They're scum. Michael Avenatti, the creepy porn lawyer with the whole Stormy Daniels thing, scumbag. Yep, scumbag. So... We're going to sit here and talk about how Trump is such a horrible person, right? Trump is the, the worst ever. He, you know, the insurrection and all of this other nonsense. God, it's just like it's made up nonsense in their heads. Let's move on from all this to uh, COVID. COVID, COVID, COVID. So we already talked about the fact that New York State struck down the vol null, void, and unenforceable law. Uh, in regard to the mass mandate, and we have our deer in the headlights governor up here who's still probably trying to figure out what that means, but whatever, she'll figure it out. She's got some staff to help her. But in the um, New York Times this morning, I get the morning, uh, it's an email that comes out from the New York Times every day, and they had a, a poll today. A COVID poll is the title of this piece, and it's by David Leonhardt. Good morning. We walk through the result of the first morning newsletter poll on pandemic attitudes. This, my friends, explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if this poll is accurate, it explains a lot. They start the piece thusly. <clears throat> to COVID Americas. COVID's starkly different impact on the young and old has been one of our vi the virus's defining characteristics. It tends to be mild for children and younger adults, but is often severe for the elderly. More than three quarters of all U.S. COVID deaths have occurred in people over the age of 65. Given these patterns, it seems obvious that older Americans should be more fearful of COVID than younger. Yet, they are not. <laughs> it's a striking finding from a new poll from Morning Consult, a survey firm that has conducted for this newsletter. Old and young people express similar concerns about their personal risk from COVID. By some measures, young people are actually more worried than the elderly. This explains so much, especially as a guy who walks around Manhattan with all these 20-somethings that are hanging around with their two masks and their gloves, and some of them have a face shield, and it's like, what are you doing? Who are you listening to that is making you think that you need to wear all of that nonsense because you're literally about to die in, in, in your head? That's what you think. So they get onto some of the questions here. Well, the first question, how worried are you about getting sick from COVID-19 within the next year? So the, the uh, answers that you could choose are very worried, somewhat worried, not too worried or not at all worried. So in the age group of 18 to 34, 23% are very worried. 
that they're going to get COVID within the next year, and 35% are somewhat worried. So add those two numbers together, some quick math, we have 58%, 58% who are very worried in 18 to 34, literally, they're at almost zero risk. They have way more risk driving around in a car, way more risk. 35 to 44, 20% are very worried and 37% are somewhat worried. So again, about the same. 45 to 64, 20% are very worried, 38% somewhat worried. They, they, they do have one section in here, the don't know. <laughs> if you are being polled by someone about how, how nervous you are in regard to COVID and you respond after two years, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure you should vote ever. Ever, 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 ever. Um, so anyway, the age group, 18 to 34, very worried, 23%. And then if we jump all the way to the other side of the spectrum, 65 and over, 17%. So the people at the low end who are at no risk are six percentage points more afraid than the people at the high end who are at the greatest risk. Totally, uh, totally irrational. <laughs> okay, next question. As we deal with Omicron, I am going to, and the answers are, make changes to my normal activity to prioritize safety and public health, or B, continue my normal activity. And this is broken out by party affiliation. So make changes to my normal activity to prioritize safety and public health. 65%, 65, so almost 7 in 10 Democrats are changing their life to prioritize safety and public health. Meanwhile, 30% of Republicans are saying, yeah, no, I'm not doing it. I, 30% are saying I will change my activity. While the opposite, 65%, say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to continue as normal. I'm going to continue as normal. Um, they say here, many Democrats say that they feel unsafe in their communities. They're worried about getting sick from COVID and believe that the virus poses a significant risk to their children, parents, and friends. Republicans are less worried about each of these issues. And then further down, they say here, no vaccine, no worry. And the first, the, the first sentence of this paragraph grabs me and brings me to a different piece from the Canadian COVID care alliance. Uh, and it's sort of remarkable. The, the first thing they say here is the COVID vaccines are remarkably effective at preventing serious illness. So I will ask this. And that's what the Canadian COVID Care Alliance found in their review of Pfizer's data. So this is Pfizer's data that this organization went to take a look at. So the six-month data on the Pfizer vaccine. So David writes here, the first sentence, the COVID vaccines are remarkably effective at preventing serious illness. In actuality, they were, they, if, if you recall, Fauci and all those guys were like spouting the relative risk reduction when this whole thing first started of, you know, 98, 99, hundred percent, whatever it was, it was like through the roof. It was practically a hundred all the time when the absolute risk reduction, the absolute risk reduction in Pfizer's own data is less than 1% is less than 1%, but they use the relative risk reduction because they can make it look that way. But the bit, the bigger point that I want to make here is based on that sentence, the COVID vaccines are remarkably effective at preventing serious illness. That's actually that's actually sort of a sleight of hand, right? Because what, what was the point of the COVID vaccines? If we like take a step back and just say, okay, 
if you were going in to do this clinical trial, what, what's the question that you're trying to answer? Right? So the fear of the COVID vaccine is it was going to kill people or it was going to make them sick. Right? That, was, that was sort of everybody went in thinking that. So any COVID vaccine trial should set out to ask a question. Do people who take the vaccines have less illness and death than those who don't? So illness and death is the clinical endpoint. And not just illness and death from COVID, but illness and death across the board, right? Across the board to know that the vaccines are not causing harm. Uh, apparently, this was learned decades ago with cancer drug trials. At first, they use a clinical endpoint of did the drug shrink the cancer? If it did, they called it effective. But it turned out that drugs were not only killing the cancers, they were killing the patients. They were forced to change the design of the trial and switch to all-cause mortality as the primary endpoint instead and show that people receiving the drug actually live longer than those who don't than those who don't so while they may be able to say to you take this vaccine and it will provide you some protection against serious illness and death from covid and that is true it gives you less than one percent more protection than you would otherwise have in tra the trade-off for that is that you are accepting the fact that you're more likely to die from something other than COVID, something other than COVID. And that's exactly what, and I will link to this because we're running out of time. That's exactly what the data out of the UK and Ireland is showing now that people who take the COVID vaccine may not necessarily get COVID, but it doesn't mean that they're living because <laughs> they're dying by other means. Like all of the, all of the athletes who have collapsed on fields across the world didn't die of COVID. They didn't die of COVID, but they're most certainly dead. So to wrap it up today, we need to do, well, wrong button. The woke word of the day. Oh, hi. Oh, the crickets are still going there. <laughs> okay, crickets. That's enough of that. The woke word of the day. Oh, hi. Yeah. This is Chad, your beta male. Oh, yeah. Good to see you. Thanks for joining me here on the Ritz Report. Today's word of the day is capitalism. Ah, a system in which people freely exchange goods and services. The evilest system that's ever been invented. <laughs> ah, that's your woke word of the day. Thanks for joining me. I'm Chad. See you next time. And of course, folks, last but not least. Hero of the stupid. Business is realizing they've, they've got a they got a price in the car. They, they, have, they have to price in the price of carbon. And so there's so much, I think. I, anyway, look, I, I one, one, one more question here. Is it too late? To aggress this is great the climate change revive paid sick leave for all workers so workers don't have to leave work to to get uh, uh, to be fired in order uh, when they get sick to be able to continue to live <coughs> we have to take care of the cure. 
that will make the problem worse no matter what. You are a sad, strange little man. <laughs> and that's going to do it for me, folks. Thanks for joining me today. Tuesday, January 25th here on the Ritz Report. Please share this podcast with your friends. They're on your phone. Click the little share button. Share it with somebody who's, you know, informed, uninformed, has a clue, doesn't have a clue, has a dog, a cat, a fish, whatever. Share it with anybody. I would, that would be great. Uh, it certainly helps the show grow and gets me out there into the world. Send me notes of adoration and love or pure hatred to Ritz at RitzReport.com or check me on the socials at RitzReport on Instagram and Twitter and on Getter. I'm at Alex Ritz. Until next time, thanks for being here. And as always, let's go, Brandon. Yeah.